Ahoy, you're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we are chinwagging with Robert Ethier, co-founder and managing partner at Impact Science Ventures. We're going to be talking about what the energy transition movement is, what major players are dominating this market, who the underdogs are, and what mistakes investors are making. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Hopefully you had good conversations, met some interesting folks, because that's what we're here for. Well, that and also to, uh, well, I'll tell you what we're here for. Uh, if you're new, this is what's the on tap here at Diffuse Tap. This is a weekly event. We do at 10 a.m. Central every Wednesday, 181 times, which is bananas. I love, we got to do something for 200. That's just around the corner. Wow. I mean, uh, 20 we, weeks. Yeah, I know, uh, 20 weeks. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe not just around the corner. We're going to briefly talk about the Diffuse Tap event itself, Diffuse Funds, the company putting it on. And then we're going to do a fireside chat with Mr. Robert Ethier, or Ethier, apologies. Um, if you have questions, put them in the chat, and we will pick them up as we can. But we then are going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, um, tap rooms, kind of like what you just did, because this is mostly networking. It's a chance for you to meet alternative investors from literally everywhere. Um, so it's a nice cross-section. We're pretty heavily skewed towards digital assets, but it's not all we do. Uh, we do want you to learn a little bit, which is why we have folks like Mr. Ethier on to share some of his time and some of his wisdom. If you like in, if you like this event, the networking in particular, we do have in-person versions of it. Next one is on December 6th, Beverly Hills, hosted by Robert Mowry and Craig Isaacson. Craig's on the phone or on the line here today. So some of you will meet him. If you want to meet him in person, uh, go to Beverly Hills on December 6th. Diffuse Funds is the group putting it on. Um, we have a publicly listed indexed fund of the top 30 cryptocurrencies. Uh, so if you want to learn more about that and get a how to get a broad-based exposure. Thank you, Frank, for the uh, the raising the roof there. If you want to learn more about how to get a broad-based exposure to crypto, hit us up. We can probably help you out with that problem. But that's enough about us, Mr. Ethier. Do you want to unmute yourself? Tell the good... Oh, first off, thanks for being here. Do you want to unmute yourself? Tell the folks a little bit about your background and what you're up to now. Yeah, and thank you for having me, Kenny. Appreciate appreciate being here. And, and the diversity of the background of the folks in this group seems like a great group of people. So briefly on my background, more of a finance nerd with a quant bent, have a couple of undergrad degrees, uh, financial markets accounting, did a CFA, wanted to get into portfolio management, went to an insurance company, was handed about a billion dollars a day after Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. Really great time to invest. Did that for about a decade. Kind of excelled at finding long-term global macroeconomic opportunities and then uh, deploying capital within those opportunities. Hold on, I'm seeing someone saying I'm not, my mic's not loud enough. Let me just. Ah, yeah, it's coming through a little bit quiet on my end too. So, okay, is that better now? That's much better. Okay, I uh, just bumped up the volume there. So yeah, finding long-term global macroeconomic opportunities and then deploying capital within those opportunities. Uh, some of you may be familiar with CleanTech 1.0, tradition of the time frame from 2005 to 2015. A lot of solar was coming online, a lot of uh, other alternative energy technologies. I was an active investor during that time, but actively avoided anything in cleantech 1.0, strictly because the economics never made sense. It wasn't a climate denier, but if you're talking about end users having to pay 30, 40, 50% more uh, for products they're already getting or having a much worse user experience, that just never makes sense from an economic standpoint. I started to change my mind around this in the 2015-2016 timeframe and thinking of the effects of climate change being more of a 
much more near-term thing than long-term. So being a 2020 thing rather than a 2050 thing. And climate change being something like globally pervasive, going to cause very acute and critical pain points around the globe. If you can solve those kinds of problems, there's typically a lot of economic opportunity behind it. Um, so with my investor head on, came up with this thesis around the next generation of industry. Uh, I think other people with better branding skills as me ended up calling it the energy transition, which I think sounds better. And so wanted to spend the rest of my career doing that, um, left that position, moved to San Francisco, did an MBA at Berkeley, uh, joined an amazing organization called Activate, where I got to mentor folks working on really early stage, we call hard technologies, things that have a lot of R&D, typically a physical asset is involved, whether that be in energy generation, energy storage, manufacturing, etc. And was also working on a DOE, Department of Energy funded grant to go figure out what went wrong with clean tech 1.0 and how investors could better take advantage of clean tech 2.0 and better invest in these types of companies. That research became the foundation for the fund that I launched in 2021 called Impact Science Ventures. Uh, really unique investment strategy, but very much focused on the early stage deep tech side of things. Uh, so very much on scientific rate theory, scientific innovation, uh, a lot of IP, a lot of R&D going on. Yeah, that's the, I'll, I'll stop there for the Great. quick. A quick intro. That's great. No, I appreciate that. And we'll actually just go right on into that. So when you're investing, where do you typically invest? I'm guessing a lot of this is coming out of academia. So are you investing? I mean, how early in the career? How are they financing up till they get to like, what is that um, early stage hard science uh, life cycle look like? Yeah, so there's these types of companies are typically coming out of like you mentioned academia or the national lab ecosystem. So the U.S. has several national labs located around the U.S. that have multi-billion dollar annual budgets. Uh, some of these facilities have equipment that is literally only located at that particular lab site. Uh, so a lot of valuable resources available. And you have really smart people working on these things. What they typically don't have is the entrepreneurial know-how or mentorship to actually start start a company. So this first phase is really the research phase of doing the experiments and finding out whether or not you have a science or a, a tool you think will actually work in the real world. So step one is doing the experiments and finding like, hey, this is actually a potential scientific breakthrough if it works in the real world. This next step is, and, that, and that's usually taken care of by university, national labs, government funding. This next step, what I call the science de-risking side, um, as well as company de-risking of is this person actually able to go start a company or can they find someone to work with in the startup company? And this is where incubators and accelerators, government programs, the, the, the program I used to work for Activate kind of come in and a mentorship capacity to say, hey, we have folks in our team that know how to start companies, that know how to scale companies and teams. Uh, you have the science know-how. Let's work together to actually build this thing and see if it can work. At this stage, there are some venture funds involved. Uh, this is kind of where we start to get involved at Impact Science Ventures. Uh, we have what we call a scout program. Where we're writing a lot of 100K checks into a lot of different companies. The key for us is at this science de-risking stage, going from the idea of like, hey, I've got some some really interesting lab exper experiments to a prototype that works outside of the lab. So that's what we can say the science has been proven. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a multi-year, multi-million dollar process. Uh, it's very risky. There's a lot of failure in that. And that process, as you would imagine, and it would be very expensive to fund that with equity. That's what we found out during Clean Tech 1.0. So what we do is we'll plug in very small amounts of equity, which won't pay for that science de-risking. But then we plug them into our partners, uh, Activate being one, where they can fund them with 
you know, minimum half a million dollars, but often up to three million or more of non-dilutive funding via government and philanthropy. And that pays for the science de-risking. Once companies have gotten to that point and they they have a prototype that works, they can show it to customers. Then it's really more about the market de-risking, the team de-risking. Uh, and that's when more venture firms are starting to get involved, uh, you know, early stage, series A, you know, some C, some B. And once you get past that stage of actually finding your you know, finding your market fit, your go-to-market strategy, you get the team in place, then it's more about the scaling side. And that's when you have more mid to late stage venture funds coming in, uh, government financing, corporate development, that kind of stuff. That's fascinating. Um, and I kind of like the idea of your, like you say, using academia and these grants to de-risk things for you, right? A little bit of equity, mostly grant money, non-dilutive uh, as a general rule. And I'm guessing you plow money in uh, once they prove out that there's a product market fit and they get to that scaling, but I don't know for sure. Um, so- yeah, this was, it, was, it was one of the key findings of my research research into cleantech 1.0. The failing by the venture community at that point was putting equity money, a lot of equity money mm-hmm. into what were effectively science projects. And that's just not a good use for, for equity dollars. Okay. Especially when there's grant money on 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 offer, right? Like yeah, the whole the, the whole idea is you've got to change that capital set, yeah. especially at the early stage. Okay. And would you call that this is Len's question here in the chat? Would you call that seed stage where you come in then? Like what is the term in this? Uh our our scout check is coming in at pre-seed. Yeah. Pre-seed company formation. That's typically where the money first money is coming in. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So let's uh I like that strategy. Um, and I think we had somebody on a few weeks back that had something similar, but uh, let's go high level. So hard science investment, there's there's a lot of areas there. So what's overhyped? What's underhyped? What are you excited by? What do you think people should probably stop going crazy about? At the risk of getting the virtual eggs thrown at me, I'll start with the overhyped and say <laughs> uh, nuclear as being overhyped. And I say that from the perspective of an investor, not a a global citizen, especially whether you're talking about small modular reactors or if you're talking about fission or fusion the the capital requirements to get to scale the the time frames involved mm-hmm. if you're just backtracking that into what your investment is you know what you're investing in right now the different fundraising stages you have to go to and when you have a potential liquidity environment uh, opportunity it's really hard to math that out and make it mm. make sense that's not to say that it's not worth investing in from a government perspective uh, or that and I'm actually very pro nuclear as far as the you know energy grid in general. I just have a really tough time seeing how investors are going to make positive returns or venture like returns uh, in those areas just due to those dynamics. And so mostly Not this is going to be actual plants, right? Like that's really the only way you're going to monetize it. It's funny, my uncle, his entire job is decommissioning nuclear power plants. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so like sounds right. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a pretty good career right now. So yeah, it sounds accurate. Yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, nuclear is overhyped. It's hard to make your money back. Also, it's kind of commoditized, I got to imagine, right? It's, like it's not new science at this point. It, I mean, the fission side is. And the, yeah. it, the small modular reactors the idea is like if you can create a, a manufacturing facility for plants, like does that make it more cost effective? I think thus far the answer is no, but maybe they prove that out. But even beyond on the fission on the fusion side, I don't I haven't really heard many folks solve for even just the beyond the, the cost, of, you know, the capex involved solving for the fuel side of things like if you're mm-hmm. looking at if uh what is it tritanium being one of your supplies on the fuel side and a single plant requires 6x the world supply of tritanium like that's a problem and i i i think folks would just think they will solve for that but i it, and i think you can but it decreases the, the end efficiency of the plant it decreases um, the attractiveness of it from an investor standpoint so that's 
that's why I'm I'm not I'm not anti-nuclear, but I am I th- I think it's overhyped from an investor standpoint. All right. Well, um, I gotta say, not very controversial because I think you got a lot of <laughs> comments there in the chat that are uh plus wanting you on that one. So what do you think about hydrogen? Hydrogen's another is an interesting one. It's almost both overhyped and underhyped. Um sure. For folks I'm thinking we're we're hydrogen is going to replace fossil fuels as a key energy source globally. From that viewpoint, overhyped. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, petrochemicals have it have the ability to be easily and efficiently transported without the loss of energy. Hydrogen does not have that ability. The idea of transporting hydrogen over long distances, whether it be through pipelines or even you know through ships, is, for lack of a better phrase, a pipe dream. Just the physics involved with that uh, become very difficult very quickly. And if the goal is like, oh, we'll just tran- we'll convert it to ammonia, transport the ammonia, which was also not that easy to transport, and then turn it back into hydrogen and then use it, your overall efficiency losses from that are massive. And the economics will never make sense. I think the people that have been, or even using hydrogen as a as an in-home, you know, heating fuel source, like it's a lot of things have been overdone. Where it's where it's underhyped is I think during Clean Tech 1.0, there is a pretty big graveyard of hydrogen startups. Uh, the market wasn't ready for it yet. There is, from our viewpoint, a lot more demand from the industrial side of powering their fleets or their operations with hydrogen. What that ends up looking like is locally sourced and locally used hydrogen plants. So creating hydrogen where it's being used rather than creating hydrogen from a, from a you know mm-hmm. centralized point and then shipping it out. Uh, so I think there is, you know, hydrogen will be a bigger part of the economy 10, 15, 20 years from now, but it's going to be very industrial focused and much more of a locally sourced and used type thing. Interesting. So on-site power consumption um, sounds great for Bitcoin mining. I got to say. Potentially. Yeah. I, I, so another one that I'll, I have to touch on for for overhype, because I think in the sectors that I work in, there's this is one that gets some of the most attention and perhaps least deserved is direct air capture. I don't, I don't know, know what, what that means. means. I'm sorry. So, what is direct yeah. air capture? This is the idea of, you know, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, and to hit, you know, the Paris goal to 1.5, we're eventually going to have to pull some of that carbon out. And the idea of like, you just put a giant, put up a bunch of giant fans, it'll suck air through them, we'll capture the carbon, sequester it, and then pump air back up. As you might imagine, the concentrations of carbon in the atmosphere are very low. You can't get past mm-hmm. that. So, Anything you're working on, there's really just only so much you can do on the efficiency side of that. And it makes the economics very, very difficult. And these projects, even at best case scenario, they're still pretty darn expensive. Not to mention, if you're looking at the the electricity you would need to actually run those facilities, you would actually get a bet an, a better net carbon reduction by putting that electricity towards the grid or putting it toward an industrial plant or putting mm. it toward storage. Basically, anything else besides director capture would be a better use of, of that electricity. Interesting. Yeah, so it's just the sheer amount of carbon. Of for that one in the climate <laughs> space, just because there's obviously a lot of director capture startups. You know, we've looked at a bunch. It's just the economics get really hard. Point source, that's a whole nother thing. But like director capture just in a field, that's that's really tough. Okay. Um, fascinating. I guess it makes sense. So you got to use electricity. You're going to create carbon doing that. So if you only, you have to net be beneficial. Yeah. Interesting. Underhyped. Underhyped. I'm going to go just broad on this. Think of really old, ugly, dirty, unsexy industries, steel, cement, commodity chemicals, mining and minerals outside of lithium. You know, the stuff that's been around for hundreds of years. 
there's been some development in these areas, but there's a lot more to go. I think right now, looking, you know, having my investor hat on, I imagine right now being like, imagine being on the ground floor of being able to invest in Carnegie Steel or Dow or DuPont or 3M and their series a round back in 19 or 18 whatever it was uh, when mm-hmm. they first raised capital i think that's a kind of opportunity the once in a century type opportunity we have right now in some of these industries where there is a there is a critical mass behind this movement of going towards a low carbon economy and even the big players are looking into this and putting more work into the r d space if you're the first to market making you know cement ordinary portland cement the same cement that's been used for the last 200 years and you can do that in a carbon negative fashion at the same price point you have a trillion dollar market that is you can basically access as fast as you can build cement plants you know steel there's been progress but even with the green steel, uh, steel plants you're still looking at a 30 percent price premium if you can bring that down there's no company in the world that's going to you know if you're looking at the same price steel one is one you get a carbon credit for the other one you don't you're going with carbon credit every single time same in cement a lot of this is happening in the chemicals industry on the metal side there's a severe lack of some of our base metals long term especially looking at copper there's a lot of startups looking at the, the lithium refining side of things but i think there's actually a bigger need at uh increasing our copper supply fascinating okay i mean that all makes perfect sense and i am significantly more informed than when I started this call. So appreciate that uh, kind of high-level overview. We are, unfortunately, out of time. Um, so we're going to do tap rooms. Here is a rough gender for you. There we go, tap room time. Networking, not pitching. Please be respectful of that. Please be respectful of each other. Um, we have had a few instances in the past. We don't do a full participant list. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap details then and there, or join our Telegram group and tell me what product you guys are using on a day-to-day basis because we're doing a little bit of market research. Please do. Tap rooms. Here's a rough format, how they usually go. Say hey, and then talk about the topic. And Isla gives you the topic like now. Yeah. What is one energy transition technology you've heard of recently that's kind of caught your eye? I'll pop you into rooms now and we'll see you back here shortly. Hello again. Welcome. Uh, Isla is using her fingers of fire to reshuffle the rooms. And while she does that, Robert's going to fill the air by telling us after unmuting uh, the future. What are you excited by? What's coming down the pipe? And you do get bonus points if it's something the audience hasn't heard about before. I'm trying to think of what I haven't already talked about because when I look at the future, all right, there is going to be a full-fledged shift in investment industries from you're seeing a lot of, you know, there's billions of dollars now being put into climates at climate trying to reduce carbon in the economy or carbon in the in the in the environment, carbon abatement. We're going to see a lot more money in the next 10 to 20 years going into climate adaptation. So thinking of like, all right, as we have hotter temperatures, our, as we have higher sea levels, how do we adapt to that without disrupting mm-hmm. our normal lives? So there's going to be a, a ton of money being flown in these spaces of water management, air management, temperature management. And as big as as climate has gotten right now, it's only the beginning of, of what this sector is going to look like. I That's actually fascinating. I love that point, right? Uh, we've been talking about, you know, carbon and global warming and stuff for a very long time, but that shit. It's kind of that that cow's a little bit out of the barn. Uh, so the next wave is going to be how, okay, if we really can't live in a world that's five degrees warmer. How do we keep the world from getting five degrees warmer, right? Totally makes sense. Fascinating. Cool. Ayla, 
Is that a filling enough time for you? That is right. <clears throat> and the next topic for you is which country do you think is going to be the winner in the energy transition? Is it going to be one of the Nordic European countries or is the superpower going to take that cake? Uh, who's going to lead this transition? Uh, pop you in dreams now. We'll see you back here just before the hour. All right. Watch that little number go up and we'll call it. I think everybody's back. Thank you, everybody. Hopefully you uh, learned a little bit. I think today was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. So it's exciting. Mr. Ethier, first, thank you for coming. And second, feel free to unmute yourself and plug whatever you want to plug. Plug away. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the... You know, what I will plug is everyone thinking about their own, you know, how does the energy transition affect them? How does, you know, looking at at your own future expenditures and where you're putting your energy into, you know, the a, a future of a low carbon economy, I think, is at this point is a, is a known thing. It's just a matter of how do we take advantage of it? So I highly encourage everyone to, you know, read more into this, um, you know, look at more of how, how you're allocating your own investment portfolios, whether that be into something that we're doing, like Impact Science Ventures. Um, you can find us at impactscience.bc. Happy to chat more um, or other funds doing similar things. Uh, I think, one, this is a great thing for the planet. And two, it's a good way to make money, too. Love it. Double whammy right there. Save the planet. Make some green. Make it green. I don't know. There's a pun somewhere in there, but something in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A couple wrap up items on our end, which is this slide. Yes. Next week, this is every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central. Up next, we're talking about building communities. So come learn a little bit about that. In person, Beverly Hills, December 6th, Craig and Robert hosting different Robert. Uh, do join the Telegram group. Uh, introduce yourself. And uh, like I said, we're doing some research on products. So tell us products you love. Uh, Isla, any talking points that I missed? Nothing you missed. Cool. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much. All right, Robert, thank you again for your uh, your wisdom. And everybody, thanks for showing up. We'll see you in just shy of seven days. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Just in time for Thanksgiving. Huzzah. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Bye. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.